Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social worker. For those of you listening, it is now Tuesday afternoon, and Baruch Hashem, we are live. We did not do our weekly Monday evening program, so those of you listening in, tuning in now, it is live. This is not a recording. For those of you that would like to call in with your question or comment, the number is 718-683-5858, And if you'd like to text a comment, but just to be aware that the lines are already filling up, which means we will be taking your voice questions over the text that you bring in. But if you'd like to send a text comment, it's 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. And sometimes we do take your question. So let us go ahead and start. We have Mrs. Y on line two. Mrs. Y, you're on with Mordechai. Hi, is that me? Yes. Yep. Okay, so first I'd also like to thank you for your talk shows, your lecture, your lectures, and especially the book. I actually recently bought a copy, and I read a lot of parts of it. As of now, I would say that it just gave me, like, a lot of awareness, but I still feel like I really need to study and practice, (laughs) and I hope to do that. Definitely. Um, I appreciate that. Now, I want to tell everyone that I am getting feedback that the sales of the book is doing fantastic, and I'd like to thank everyone for listening and helping the JRoot Radio for helping me promote it over here. And at this point, it's really happening from word of mouth which means the initial people that bought it, bought it. But the, the feedback that people are sharing and telling people, you know something, it'll be great for you to get this, so you would help. This chapter works great for you, the chapter on saying no, how to do it easily, the chapter on leadership. I just got a message, someone saying, the difference between leadership and dictatorship, and just the self-esteem. It's just a beautiful program, beautiful work put together, and I want to thank everyone for to continuing to promote it, saying that you like it, and thank you. Now to your question. Um, yes. So I, I'd even say probably if I would have practiced and studied your book, it wouldn't have been much of an issue. But first, like, um, I feel I have an issue of insecurity. I feel insecure a lot of the time. And I have, and I feel like your book would probably help me a lot with that, but I have a specific issue that I'd like to, like, um, deal with it now. So um, I'll... I guess I'll first give you my question and then the background. My question is, um, how do I keep calm when I'm so anxious and flustered when I need to call a client? Now, a little background about my job. I'm actually working more like in the inside of the company. I I create reports and um, I handle data extraction, so it's like programming. And I think the issue is why I become so anxious is because I'm an insecure person. And, like, now it, it like, comes up, and here it comes up very much. Um, I have, of course, I have reasons for my insecurity, insecurity, like, that always happens. So now um, the thing that I'm, like, afraid of is I'm afraid of giving a bad impression of the company. And the reason I feel I'm afraid of it is because my English is not my first language. All right, hold I, on. I let's, th- let's, let's recognize your question, and then we'll deal with all the rationale. Okay. You've really stated the entire bit of information, or everything, almost as Yosef told them, that you've answered your own questions. Let's understand what you're asking. Your question is that when you need to call someone, so it's not code calling, where you got to call people where you're expecting 90% rejection rate or even higher, 
what you're doing is just getting some information that's lacking, that's missing, and you're calling them up just to get the information. But you're afraid to do that. Now, let's focus on the fear, because either some weaknesses within yourself, that's the perfectionist, the entire book is there to actually break that bubble, which I find, as I always say, the number one diagnosis that we have in the firm world that's not a diagnosable diagnosis is perfectionist. And that means, oh, because English isn't your first language, the way you're speaking, it's superb. But it doesn't matter what I will tell you. Your fear, your inner concern about what you're not doing and what you're not getting or what you're lacking will always be there. That's insecurity that also can fall under the title, not that you have it, but under the concept of anxiety. Or as I like saying, why diagnose just missing, as you said, is self-confidence. Now, when someone is missing a self-confidence, let me just give you an example of what that, what that looks like, and you'll tell me how that fits in for you. Imagine someone's got an open wound, all right? There's an open wound. Now they're afraid of every little bit of germ that will disturb them. And now they're, wherever they're going, I'm afraid to touch something. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to that place because it might get infected. Now, what about a person that they have healthy skin? There's no open wound. Everything is closed. Are they afraid of touching things? No. No. So you've got an open wound, which is called you don't have a confidence in you right now. And because you don't have confidence within yourself, you're afraid of everything. You have an open wound. Now your rationale will start saying, I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of that. So you withhold yourself from doing different tasks instead of just going and heal the wound. Work on your confidence. Does that make sense? You just have a simple confidence issue. Yes. To me, it it makes sense. But um, my question is, like now, I want to start calling. Now, I think building my confidence will come with the calling. It's not... Absolutely that not. That is... No, let, let's clarify. There are two ways of helping a person. Outside, the outside can affect the inner feelings, or the insides will affect the outside, which means if we build inner confidence, you'll be able to make the call. We need to recognize that behavior does not heal inner wounds. You can put a glove on top of your pain, on top of the wound, you can put a Band-Aid, and it will protect you that you could touch things, but it didn't heal it. I need you to no. recognize there's two separate levels. There's one behavioral therapy, which do the behavior. You will be able to master it, but inside you will still have lots of doubts. No, it will not heal. I am telling you from experience, it will not heal your inner fears. My question is then, should I not call until I gain more I'm confidence? not here to answer that question. That, uh, I, well, each of my clients know that they never get that answer out of me which means what, you're, what we clarified is you need to work on your confidence. Right. When you start working on your confidence, whoever will help you work on your confidence or whichever person you're going to do it with, work with, which means even my workbook, even my book as we call it really, it's not a workbook, but those that want to do it as self-help, then you need to have someone doing it with you. You need to work, set your goals, write, work on your goals. Are you doing that? You want to build an entire self-confidence on your own. It's sort of like saying you want to do surgery on yourself. It's not possible. And I don't want to take it even deeper, which I'm not going to do that much, but how many other family members do you have that don't have confidence, which means there's a certain way of thinking that needs to be challenged. I can tell you certain chapters already in the book that you're going to need. First of all, chapter one, how to build your, how to build your confidence. Chapter two, about new beginnings. 
it's guaranteed and assured that you are afraid to go through that process of making mistakes and, the, and everything that goes along with it. It's guaranteed that you're not even recognizing all the 18 natures that there are. What are your strengths? What natures do you have? But what are the weaknesses to each of your natures? And you might even be able to recognize, oh, that's why I have these doubts, because it's part of my nature. That's the strength. There is so much in that book that there is to help you and to recognize the penny doubled theory. I think it's chapter 8 about doing it slowly. Don't start like calling everyone up to work on different places. You need to get it for your job, then you're going to have to do it right now, but you need someone to help guide you. You need guidance. And that question I can't answer here. I can't give you every week 20 minutes of guidance. So your question isn't a self-confidence question. Your question is, you haven't had confidence. You're now being faced in life to step up to the plate. Even if you will step up to the plate, and you will make the calls, but inside you're going to have doubts. And I have people in their 50s and 60s coming to me all the time with that, that they've got 20 years of experience, but inside they've got fears and doubts. Don't believe that if you do a behavior, and just because you're believing the lie of the world, that everyone's smiling outside, they're not. Unfortunately, I have a very negative view that most people walking outside are walking around with this huge pain, and the minute they're not in the street or they have to put up that face to others, they have huge pain on the inside. So you're saying that you can't help me um, how I should handle a phone call right now. I just, I Every one of my clients know that I give this same muscle and I'll give it to you. You asked me a third grade question when you're in first grade. What I tell you is let's focus on first grade, let's master second grade, and then once you've got the foundations of one and two, then we can deal with number, with number, with grade three. You've asked me a, a question that you're not ready yet or capable of dealing with. If you were, I'll just tell you, okay. yeah, make the calls. Just make the calls. Okay. <laughs> Let's just do it. Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, behavior will help you just make the call. And you'll see after 10 calls how, how it gets harder instead of easier. And you know it shouldn't be a big deal because you already did it 10 times, but you're still afraid. And then you'll see that's when you need the inner work. Okay, so thank you. You're welcome. Sorry I couldn't just give you that easy, you know, magical answer that, yeah, just do it and it goes away. It's about inner work, and that's what we got to start focusing. We're going to go to line six to London. Let's go to line six. Mrs. R. from London. You're on with Mordechai. Yes, hello. Hi. Good afternoon for us. Ah, How yes, good doing? afternoon. That's actually a good afternoon for us as well. Yeah, this time is a time it gets a bit easier to call. Yes. Um, okay, my question is like this. Um, I have a five-year-old son who has been coming home complaining Let's um, just about clarify one thing. Just before this way I say it, and this way you don't get concerned that I am sort of ignoring you in any which way. But any question parenting. under the age of eight, if it's a parenting, I'll just say it's a parenting question, and then you'll need to take a parenting workshop. Most issues that we have... Um, no, it's more regarding um, Rebbe parent relation. Okay, good. I just wanted to give you that heads up ahead of time, because when I say that, then the person shouldn't think, well, why Go, go ahead, continue. Right. Okay, he came home um, from Haida, like, rather frustrated, saying that the Rebbe from after Pesach has become very strict um, because they're big boys. Um, they're five-year-olds, yeah? Um, he told me that he was punished. He was once sent out, and once the uh, Rebbe gave him a patch, a slap, whatever. Um, I phoned up the Rebbe because I just wanted to clarify what things were what was going on, so then I'm not here to confront him, I just want to work with him, and hear whether there's anything, I mean, according to me, my child is a very, you know, timid, um, good boy, 
Um, the Rebbe said he wasn't aware of anything um, unusual, just the normal way boys behave, nothing unusual. Um, my son came up with something which I couldn't believe it's true, but he told me that the Rebbe put his finger into his mouth, like, you know, to try and make him choke. <laughs> so I told the Rebbe, I don't think it's, I mean, I can't believe something like that is true. What do you say to it? Um, so he didn't really deny it, but he just said, like, do you think it's true? Um, so I just said, like, you tell me, I'm not here to confront you. So he, he didn't deny it, but he just, like, told me, maybe by mistake. And I felt, like, quite confused by it. That is um, anyways, a major, day, that's major worry. Yeah, your, your, all your warning um, signs next, should be up. Yeah, like, he didn't, he didn't tell me outright no, but he just, like, said, maybe by mistake. And I found that was a very strange answer to give. And, um, you know, my son was also complaining that he told them that, you know, very, being very, like, to me it sounded like a bit of a controlling manner, like the fingers have to be pointed on the homish a certain way, the chairs have to touch the edge of the desk, and he's not coping with it, and, not, I mean, to me it's all of five. And after speaking to the Rebbe the next day when he went back to Haida, he came home telling me that the Rebbe called him in a, in a room himself, and gave him a telling off why he's saying lies about him, that he never put even a finger in his mouth. I personally didn't think that was the right way to talk to him. But I'm like in a bit of a dilemma. Do I just try to build up my child's confidence and just tell him it will pass, it's fine? Or when he's coming home and telling me more things every day, if I call again, the Rebbe? Okay, let's take a step back. There is real concern for child abuse, for physical abuse, sticking a kid's finger in that he should choke because maybe he said things or shouldn't have said things, is abuse. Not acceptable. My first step that I would do is I would call up other parents or speak to other kids. If you have any neighbors right, I've that done go. That. And what do the other kids I've say? I've done that and everyone just tells me, well, my kids are perfect. Everyone is so happy. I've I never didn't had notice, any notice I asked for one thing. You answered another. I asked yeah. you to research if other kids val verify the story, what happened. Not if other parents right. are happy, not if other kids are reporting the story or not. That's not what I suggested. What I suggested right. is you need to find out exactly what happened in that classroom. And if the Rebbe did right. put a kid's finger down the kid's mouth, that immediately needs to be informed to the principal of what is happening. Either the Rebbe own up to it and apologize and say it will not happen again and actually commend your son for being open and for talking because that is what we want to teach. Or if I were you, right. I pull out my kid that day, even if it's the last day of yeshiva. Because of a Rebbe that can cause physical abuse, A, you don't know what will happen to you. Or a teacher and you to your kid, and you don't know what damage can happen or what else will happen. That is not acceptable. If your son is right. making up stories, which you need to know, I've got my youngest four-year-old that made up stories. It's adorable. Our neighbors are coming in and saying that my four-year-old. That's, that's what I mean. I think it's actually. It's, I take it back. I she just turned five. Right. She just turned five, and she's telling everyone how she was in a body cast. It's adorable. You know what I mean? They go, "Was right. she ever?" Go, no, it never happened. However. If the Rebbe did not deny it and said it could have happened, then you need to know and make sure what the story is. And you would ask right. other kids, did that happen? If it did happen, you need to tell the principal, you need to have a meeting with the principal and the teacher and say, this may not happen. If it ever right. happens or anything close to that, then I am removing my kid immediately. And then, uh, and maybe even inform other parents, but let them do theirs. But your job is to protect right. your kid. 
Stories like this don't really happen today. I I want you to be aware that stories like this, I want you to be aware, stories like this don't happen. But as much as things don't happen, there's always that one or two stories that it does happen to. And you don't want to sit and regret, why didn't I trust trust my kid? 100%, sir. 100%. So do you understand this is a major concern? telling me today that the Rebbe um, slept me, and I'm telling you it's true. I'm not lying. I know that, but you verify now the story. So find out which kid. I'm sure you probably know one or two mothers in the class that you're pretty good friends with. So I did call up. I spoke to the kid who he sits next to. And I asked him, did my son get a slap today so no it's not true anyway in the end of the conversation my, my son sort of heard me speaking to him so he said let me speak to him he goes Chaim remember I got a snack come on don't you remember and he said oh that's what you mean it was meant to be in a friendly manner maybe but maybe my it son was took it very seriously he was crying now let's stop a second it might be done in a way that's not a slap that's a, that's a pat but your son might be very sensitive which means you might have he a is. very now, hold on, but that's a separate issue. We need to identify what is the issue. Did the Rebbe maybe take I his hand? Both. Oh, no, let's understand something. There's one thing if the Rebbe took the kid's hand and maybe put it by the mouth and saying, like, be quiet. So instead of saying, shh, and the Rebbe is teaching the class, he didn't want to stop the whole class. And your son right. put his finger, got into the mouth, and now he's exaggerating it. It could right. be that. It could also be that's a lot more you need to know what it is. That's why you asked. So basically, right. your son might not have gotten slapped. Your son is just sensitive and any little thing is making him that way. And then you might speak to the Rebbe one-on-one, please go easier on my son again. But I have a bigger concern that there might actually be physical abuse, but you need to research it. You don't just jump, oh my gosh, five-year-olds make up story, but you want to find out what's happening. You do. Right, right. So let's say, let's assume it. And then we're going to need to... Just that my son is very sensitive. Is there any way that I can try and... um, Tell him to help him to sail along, like not to take things, you know, that other children can just handle and he finds it more difficult to. So to this question, now you're asking a parenting question. How do you train a kid not to be that sensitive? I cannot do that over the phone in a one-question answer. Thank you for calling in, and my real recommendation is for you to um, do a little bit more research, recognize what's really happening in the class, and... Take care of it right away. This is not something that I would just leave. And we are going to go to, who do we have next? Who's the, Mrs. H. You're on with Mordechai. Well, I'm sorry, Mrs. H. Yes. Yes. You hear me? Yes, we hear you loud and clear. Okay, thanks. I'm not calling with a question. I'm also calling to thank about the book. I passed the bookstore yesterday, and I saw the book screaming to me, and I was so excited. I went in to buy it. I started reading it immediately. Every word is so clear, helpful, and short to the point. What spoke to me the most was about perfectionism and self-esteem. Yes. I need a take on in that area, but I'm working on it. Yes. So I can't thank you enough for everything you're doing. You're literally changing the world, I would say. Thank you. I am honored. I so appreciate the message. And for those of you listening, it's a book that we came out with about a month and a half ago, probably even two months ago. And within the first month, Baruch Hashem, we went through um, the first print. There, We're now on the second print, and that happens to be a major seller as well. The second print is going. It's being grabbed off the shelves. The book is called Alive, A 10-Step Guide to a Vibrant Life. And that's, as you said, it it's really details just how we build ourselves up. And I was yesterday on the bus with a friend of mine. I was saying there's a certain uh, endeavor that I might jump into. 
And I was just discussing with him some of my concerns. And I go, you know something? I really got to review chapter two in my book because chapter two is about new beginnings. That even though you're an expert in one area, but when you're going to go into a new area where you don't have experience, you got to realize you're a beginner. You got to realize you're going to go through the pains, the uncomfortabilities, the difficulties, the fears, the doubts. And I go, everything that I'm talking about is about that. I could just use that little chizik on doing something new, recognizing it, and just keep on getting a chizik, as well as I'm a big believer in speaking to others, even friends just getting the chizuk. So I appreciated that friend for the insight, for the knowledge, for the chizuk, as well as my book that I could now just go ahead and read it. So thank you. Right, I did I did want to mention something else as well, that it's the sec- second time I'm talking live, and I felt like I'm waiting an hour. My neshama was jumping and really nervous, and it's also helping me to do that. You mean reading the book so, gave you the confidence to just no, do it? No, no, no. I'm talking live the second time now. Yes. And I was really nervous. My stomach was jumping for a long time. Yes. It felt very long. So I'm thanking you for that, and I'm sure that's really going to help me. I you mean for the opportunity to speak now? Yeah, it's only Excellent. the second time. And let me ask you, now that it's your second time that you're speaking, how are you feeling now, the longer that you're speaking? Is it getting easier? No. Oh, no? It's I getting scarier? I'm turning over. Really? Even right now? I mean, I said basically what I wanted to say. I can never thank you enough. This is a tip All right, so I let's am. help you out. Close your eyes a second. Take a deep breath. And what would give you the ease that we could speak for the next 50 hours straight? And your heart will just be calm and relaxed, even though it's public, even though there are going to be thousands of people calling, you know, listening, even though you're probably going to have many friends tell you, I recognize your voice. I can't believe you called up. You really bought the book. Do you really like it? What will give you that confidence, that safety, that ease, that it's just one-on-one? You're just talking to me right now. You're comfortable. Everything that you said was so appropriate and so correct. Nothing's just continuing to practice and practice, and it's safe to sound you got it. nervous you got it. and whatever. Merit Hashem, feel free to call up next week with another positive, with another compliment, and you'll break it. You'll get a couple of times, and that's exposure therapy, and you're doing it. Thank you. My pleasure. Excellent. Yes, and we're going to be going now to line three, Mrs. S. Mrs. S., you're on with Mordechai. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure and my honor. I'm looking forward to buy your book. I hope maybe Mr. Shem today. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. Um, What's the name of the book again? It's Alive, called Alive, a 10-step guide to a vibrant life. And uh-huh. it has over there written you know, by author by me, Mordechai Weimarger, but right under that, which I found was a very big schuss, a forward by Dr. Abraham Tversky. I happened to know him, and he was very impressed with the book. He really said, you got to go through this book chapter by chapter and uh, practice it and work it. But it's, it's beautiful. Does all the, all the Judaica stores carry all it? All the Judaica stores carry it, and it's even a bestseller in the Judaica stores. That's what's nice. I, I stopped by one of the Judaica stores, and he knows me. He says, by the way, we sold another couple of them today. Like, whenever he passed by, he, like, shows me with fingers how many, you know, like, through the glass window how many books were sold. So that's cute when I get that message. Well, I should be, you should be very much clear. Amen. Thank you. Um, my question is to, to you, like, I have a fifth grader. Um, she has a girl in her class that keeps on calling her daily for um, her notes. Um, she forgets to, home, to bring home the books. My daughter always faxes it to her, and she has no problem helping other girls. She um, even once, like, she needed a math um, math page, which my daughter couldn't fax. She had to t- 
figure it out. In fact, so whatever she's she goes out of her way to help this girl. Yes. And in school, um, she tries to be her friend, and she I don't know she just ignores her and like doesn't even recognize her. Great. So I have a concept that many questions that we have, we know our answer to. What do you think? I'm not sure. It's a uh, what are your doubts? Please. What are your thoughts? Let's let's repeat your question. So let me sh- let me rephrase the questions. If it's my daughter, and what would you answer? I have a fifth a fifth grade daughter, where she has a, fr- a friend or an acquaintance, someone that she knows from her class, that calls her up only when she needs her notes and drives her crazy to give her the notes. But in class, she won't even acknowledge her or speak to her. What do you think my daughter should do? Um. I could, I could do two things, either ignore her phone calls and be mean, mm-hmm. or I would, I would tell you just do the mitzvah. Isn't that amazing? What I would recommend is please buy the book and right. read Which chapter... Which I will, Merit Hashem. great. And there's a chapter, I'm not even sure now which chapter it is because we changed chapters a week before printing. It's a chapter on saying no. I think it's chapter five, but I'm not that sure if it's in chapter five. But what we want to learn is, and get the concept, saying yes to everything is actually not a mitzvah. Saying yes to everything, we, we have at the end of every chapter, Gemaris and Makaris, and I'm not paskening halachas, you got to ask your rav. But does it say, are you allowed to tell someone, please steal money from me and I won't ask anything back? Are you allowed to put yourself in a place where you're going to have difficulties and problems? And the answer is absolutely not. The Torah is chas amamayna shal Yisrael. Right. There's a place when you you have to be able to say yes, you have to be able to say no. Let me just put it to you, simple concepts, which you've got in the Gemara. If if it's so nice doing chesed, are you allowed to go give $10 on Shabbos to a person that's hungry? No. Why not? But the guy's having such a hard time. Oh, Oh, you mean so there's a time you have to say no? 100%. Okay. Now, notice what you said. Should she be mean and not answer her phone? Or should she be, or should she be good and do the mitzvah of helping her? I wonder if we can look at it a little bit differently. And it almost sounds like you're speaking like a classical codependence. I always say that two number one diagnoses in the firm world. Number one is perfectionist. Number two is codependence. Codependence means that whenever I say no, I feel so guilty. Codependence means I'm thinking more what the other person needs than what do I need. And to recognize that there are many Gemaras, just one classical example is, we know that there's a great mitzvah of Aveda. What happens if I'm going to help someone with a mitzvah of Aveda? I'm going to lose out. Do I help that person because it's a mitzvah helping him and I'll lose, let's say, money or whatever that is? What's I guess that? not. That's right. And there's, if there's a returning someone's Aveda, even if it's your father's or a Rebbe, the Gemara Paskins, you, you have to first take care of yourself. So now, the Gemara also finishes it off saying that if you're going to be too busy with yourself and not help others, then soif, the person is going to come to need help from others. Which means there's got to be a balance. My question is, have you taught your daughter the concept of balance? The concept of I'm being taken advantage of? The concept that says on my forehead that says, I'm a schmuck, please take advantage of me? That's what you're teaching your, do- your daughter to become a victim, that everyone will step on her, and whenever she will ask for anything back, they will just ignore her. Part of, this world, what? Part of this world that we need to learn is also how to be assertive, and the halacha teaches that to us, that if your parents tell you to do an Avera, what do you have to tell them? You don't listen. Not even that, and we learned it out in the Sarah Sadibris. So let's understand the concept. Have you taught your daughter how to say no? How no. to 
Right. I have to teach her. That's right. And for you to recognize that all the Svarim bring down, all Halacha brings down, therefore you don't teach someone how to say no soif boli de avera, at the end chasasham do avera, because out of goodness, but they won't be able to say no. What I would like to teach you, daughter, and one of the big concepts in that chapter of saying no is we're not saying no. We're saying yes to something else. We're saying like, yes, I will give my notes to someone that is nice to me back. Or, I'm, or, I'll, give no, or I'll give notes to someone that respects me also as a human. But you can't ignore me by lunch and then take my notes every day. Or you could even say, I'm willing to help out someone that takes notes and they have a difficulty, but someone that doesn't take notes... You ignore your work by class. Now I give you the notes. It means I'm continuing to teach you how not to do well in class. Now I'll actually get an Avera because I'm codependent. I'm continuing your unhealthy behavior going. Imagine your daughter can tell her, I give notes to people when I see the notes that you've done. I see you've worked hard and you like minds are cleaner or neater or you miss something. I don't give away my notes just to anyone. Imagine I, you can start. One more question. Um, should, should my daughter tell her anything? Again, we, I, before we busy with your daughter, it sounds to me like you first need practice with this. I would ask you to start thinking, where in your life do you need to get the balance? The balance means you will say yes and you need to say no. There needs to be a balance. When you master that, and it can take you a couple of weeks, that's when you'll start helping your daughter. If you're going to try to teach your daughter when you have that weakness, it won't happen. Which means all those parents that suffer from anxiety and they're busy trying to teach their kids how not to have anxiety, I'm telling you, it's a waste of time. I have to work on myself. That's right. You're 100% correct. But yeah. I just have one more question. Um, sh I shouldn't, let's say, if I meet the mother, I shouldn't ask her, like, like my daughter's doing so much for your daughter. Notice, you, you want to fight your daughter's battle. First, fight your own battle. When you will learn how to tell your friends, you know you've taken so much advantage of me, or when I asked you these three things, you said no, and now, now you know, and you called me up now, you want me to say no? You want me to say yes? Like, there's got to be balance. It's got to be equal. When you can do that, and your kids will see you doing that, chances are they won't even need that much guidance. They would have already seen you do that. When we talk, but we don't walk the talk, they don't get it. We're just having words, and it doesn't get any better thank you excellent now what I would like to just read one message that someone sent over here and I think it's important please tell the woman from London and in capital caps listen to her son abuse is real sometimes kids are too scared to say yes it's true I know it took me years of work to help my son after experiencing a Rebbe just like this. Abuse shouldn't be tolerated at any level. And that's exactly what I told her, to really research what is going on and to go ahead and to take care of that ASAP. We're going to go to line five. Mr. L. Mr. L, you're on with Mordechai. Is that me? Yes, that is you. I thought it was Mr. I. Okay. Oh, um, I'm sorry, Mr. I. I apologize. I wasn't sure if it was a capital... God. Mr. I. Okay, no problem. Um, I had a question for you like this. I've been to therapy for around over a year, almost a year and a half already. Hold on. And when we say therapy for a year and a half, I've got some nice clients tell me, I'm coming to you for a year and a half and it's not getting better. And I go, hold on, you only came to me three sessions throughout the year and a half. <laughs> so <laughs> no, let's no, just I'm clarify. <laughs> when you say a year, a year and a half, how many sessions was it? Oh, wow. It was every week for a long time. And okay. then I like, went up to like once every two weeks. Okay, fine. Okay, so now we know you're consistently in therapy. Yes. Okay. Over over fifty sessions for sure. Okay, good. That is therapy now. Yes. So now my question is like this: I'm like, 
I'm like contemplating to maybe stop or not. Now, my question is like this, because like I went for anxiety, and I still feel myself falling a lot. Like I still feel myself getting anxious and getting triggered. And now when I get go to my therapist, and by the time I get to him, let's see, by the end of two weeks or sometimes even a month, like by that time, like everything's gone. I feel all calm, and like I feel like stupid just even like just speaking down because like everything's fine. So you're gonna say why don't I stop? But on the other hand, I still feel myself. So often, like I, I actually am like not, not thinking that at all. I'm actually thinking that this is very important if you discuss with a therapist. Two things. Number one, I would not have slowed down to once in two weeks to once a month. I'll show you how it works by me. By me, it works. And again, I'm not promoting my number. Please recognize I'm not sh- saying my office number. I'm not trying to promote my practice. I'm just sharing with you the concept how it works with many therapists. And that is when you are solid on your own and you can be now one sessions once in two weeks and you will have an anxiety issue but you'll be able to ride the wave you'll be able to move beyond that it might affect you for an hour or two but then you're able to use the skills or the tools that you've learned and now you're able to be a productive successful life then that's okay because we're all going to have bumps as i shared at the beginning coming out with a book and i've gone i'm now trying a new endeavor merit Hashem, in probably the next two weeks it's, I've got some concerns and I've got worry. And even at one night, I couldn't sleep for like an hour or two I was thinking about until I used my own tools, which means we're all human. Not my own tools. I'm saying I'm using the classical tools. But if you're having it often, then means either you haven't healed it or you're not dealing with it correctly. Or you might need a different therapist that can give you some more tools. Maybe this therapist did 80% of the job. Now you just need the last 20%. But when you're going to the therapist once in two weeks, you should be able to share the successes that you have, the anxieties, the little thoughts that were coming up that you were able to deal with them ahead of time. They didn't have to develop into anxiety. Anxiety is a way of thinking. Anxiety is being in certain environments. And when you go to therapy, you learn the tools, how to deal with it, how to prevent it. And even if there's a major one, you want to see how long it lasted and just saying, I'm having now a productive life. Once that's stable for two weeks, then you do it once in three weeks or once a month. And then you're saying, yes, I had five anxiety attacks or five steps where it could have been anxious and I made changes in my behavior and they didn't come. That's a success. You do that two, three months and then you're done with therapy. Is that happening right. by you? I'm saying it was, it was happening. I'm saying, the, I guess, in the first few months, but like, now it's like not as extreme and it's not as bad and it's not as, I guess, harmful to my relationships with my wife and family. So like it's not as, it's not as pulling me back as usual, but I'm still not happy with the level that I'm on. Okay, then that needs to be discussed with a therapist and then either you continue weekly therapy because with once a week is how you really move. The once in two weeks to the once in four weeks is really maintenance. And if you feel you can't gain much more from this therapist, ask him to make or her to make a recommendation. They do that. I make sometimes recommendations in certain types of therapy if my system or everything I try doesn't work. Or it worked up to a point and it didn't continue further. Mm-hmm. This is a discussion for your therapist saying, I've been by you 50 sessions. This is what we've accomplished. This is what we have not accomplished. What is the next steps? You lead. And that's right, a normal then. question that a therapist should not feel threatened by that. That is a very normal question that therapists get. I just want you to realize that's normal. All right? Yeah. He's just, just going to tell me that I'm not, you know, doing the, I'm not doing the work properly. Well, are you doing the work properly? 
I think I am. Okay, then you tell him I am. Now, either you tell him, so maybe what I got from you, I got, now I need someone else. Or do you have any other way to get me to do the work? If not, then okay, what's the next recommendation? Well, how do we go from here? They don't feel threatened. They should not feel threatened. If they do, then they still need supervision or they still need peer supervision. But this is a yeah, normal question. Called, I think what's called a normal, what I'm just describing is not, I'm just trying to, I'm just wondering if that's called normal ups and downs or if that's called more something. doesn't matter. Them. Even if it's normal ups and downs, then part of the, your therapy session would be able to tell you this is normal ups and downs, and you'll be discussing that and changing your expectations then that is part of therapy. And sometimes it takes about 15 sessions taking different scenarios and just saying it's normal. I recently had someone that came to me and said, I'm depressed because once in about four or five months, I need to have a day off by myself. And I told my friend, it's not called depression. They told me, went to another therapist and diagnosed depression. And all that. You're not depressed, you're normal. I have that at times. That's why people take days off. You're working hard, you reached a goal, and you didn't give yourself that little time to balance yourself. Of course that's normal. Not only it's not even depressed at all. You're functioning before, highly functioning, successful. You're highly successful after that and you need a day off once in six months. I mean to me, Rabinishlam, why would someone ever diagnose that depression? Yeah. So that is part of therapy to teach you what's realistic, what's normal life. And then many times if the therapist I know in my life I disclose certain bits of information. Like, yeah, I well, I'm going through something like that. I might not share the details of what and where. But the therapist might tell you, sure, that's normal. You think that could be even part of my work, you say? Of course, part of the work is accepting it. Start lowering that high perfectionist, that belief that people have. Everyone makes a million dollars in the first six months. Everyone within six weeks of marriage is already discussing the deepest secrets with their spouses. Everyone knows how to learn shas by the time they're 16 years old. I mean, the amount of bachram that I work with those expectations are, are unbelievable. I should be able to learn for 10 hours straight, four star, two starim of four hours or two, plus a two-hour night state without looking up one second from the Gemara. I think there's a lot of concepts out there that are just, you know. Right. Right, I hear. Okay, fine. So I yeah. guess. That's part I of the therapy. The if you thing. like the therapist, stay there. If you don't, if you feel you got everything, know you're allowed to ask him to give you a referral to someone else. It's normal and healthy, and the therapist should be mature to handle it easily. Your choice. You're in the driver's seat. We're here to serve you. Recognize that. I know that. We work for you. Even if it's a hard therapist to get into, the therapist is still there working for you. Right. Excellent. Thank right you. Right okay. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And we are going to go to line two. Mrs. L. Hi. This is Mrs. L. Yes. How are you Mrs. doing? Well, thank you so much for your, for your line and... Um, from the major awareness I gained and the knowledge and everything. You're so welcome. I appreciate that. Okay, I have a problem. I'm a terrible, terrible backseat driver. Yes. Could you help me with that? Well, let's start this way. Tell me the other places where you're also afraid of because um, you've no, basically actually, given it away. Hold on. Let, let's tell you what I hear from this question. You need to understand everything that's going on. You would like to ask things over several times. You rethink certain thoughts sometimes. You're going to be doing things and you'll have doubts. Is it good? You, you question yourself many times. You're, when you do a task outside, the world thinks you're pretty confident, but inside, you're really not. How accurate am I so far? I just look for 80%. Maybe 50%, I would say. 5-0? Great. Yeah. So I look for 80% is like off the charts. 50% is pretty good. Okay. 
Okay. So now, what do you call... I'm a very calm person. Uh, I'm not asking on the outside, no. talking about the inside. Inside, not outside. To the world, you appear very calm. Talking about inside. Like when, say, like no, when you're I in the back I'm seat. Calm. What? It's the, it's the only place that I have real anxiety. The only place where I have real, real anxiety. Now, tell me the places where you don't have real, real anxiety, where you're just nervous, where the calmness isn't there. Um, real anxiety is when you can't manage and you have to say and you're looking and you're watching. That's real anxiety. I'm talking about the little stuff when I said that you're not calm. I. My instincts tell me you're not calm at all. Not on the outside. Outside you appear the most calm person and you're always mavata and you're always giving in to everyone. I'm talking about the inside where it eats you up. Where you get nervous and tense. How could a person ask me that? How can I balance everything right now? I'm not saying you're nervous, anxiety nervous, but you're trying to make everything work. How often does that happen? Um... I wouldn't say too often. Not too often means two, three times a day? No, no. Maybe once a day. Maybe once a day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then let's, let's take it your way, okay? Let's assume it's only in the backseat driver. What do you feel when you're in the backseat of the car? Um, I'm, like, constantly telling the driver, like, watch, look out for whatever, like, oh, right. wild driver. Yeah, but what do you feel? What are you worried about? I'm worried about accidents, mm -hmm. and um, it's basically that. Do you allow your kids to play outside, or are you worried about them when they play outside? Um, I don't really have, um, my oldest is, is two, so. Okay. Um, what about your brothers and sisters? No, I'm pretty calm. You're pretty calm if they play outside, or do you mm -hmm. go out there to watch them? No, no. I'm more like a person, like, um, let it happen, let the person experience it themselves, and then learn from the mistakes. Now, that's amazing. That's your logic. What I'm trying to identify is your emotional part of you. Yes, I, I'm clarifying. On the outside, you appear very calm. When someone has the issue that you're describing about the backseat, usually it's several other places where you're also tense. Being in the back seat and letting go and worried either you've had a car accident. Have you ever been in a car accident? No. No. Or it's about letting go, about trusting others. Uh, maybe that. Yeah. Now, hold on. Since I made the assumption that it's about trusting others, you need to trust others in many areas of our lives. There's so many places where we need to trust. And usually these people will be inside more tense. They'll have an inner tension. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to identify. Where are other places that you're tense, but you're telling me you're not tense anywhere else, which makes your question that much harder. How could you have intense anxiety, which is a control issue, that inside you're not feeling safe if you're not in control, unless you've been in a car accident, so it makes sense why in that area, or you have other issues, other places where you'll have issues when others are in control. But you're denying the latter part, which means I don't have an answer to your question right now. Do you understand what my dilemma is? Yeah, but I'm, I'm like trying to see in which part I'm like, like really controlling. Oh, no. You see, I used the word and you took it in the regular terms. It's not controlling where you control others. Controlling is if things don't go your way, there gets a little tension. If you bake something and it doesn't work out, it will bother you on the inside. Yeah, maybe, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that is the control. That's what I'm talking about the entire time, that it's about letting life process. And the, on the outside, you'll say, it's bashert, it's okay. 
That's the logic. But the inside, the emotions are, we're talking about letting go. Mm-hmm. And okay, so which chapter in your book would you recommend for that? Letting go, letting go. Let's think about that one. Um, letting go is really the entire book is about letting go, again, because I find that the perfectionist, which means that that, is, that, that partial, your issue falls under perfectionist. Uh, yeah, I would say I'm a perfectionist. Exactly. But so, but in this area, also, I must say that I really, I think I let go a lot. Of course, of course, and you're growing. Let me clarify. I'm, I don't mean to say that you're not growing and that you're not doing better. Mm-hmm. No, and in fact, reading the book, the whole point of, let's say, going to therapy, the whole point about talking about it, the whole point of you asking the question, the whole point of writing the book is that people could get an awareness and that it will let go of a lot and it will help us. So I would really say the entire book, every single chapter over there is about letting go. Chapter one about building a self-esteem. In order to build it, we have to recognize that we don't have one. It's like we got to really look at our, some of our weaknesses. About new beginnings is really letting go of the control and just letting things go. One of the things I find that works very well for people that need to let go of their anxiety, let go of control, is close your eyes. Most people have such a hard time closing their eyes in front of others. I can't let go. Like I have to see what's going on in the room. It's amazing how many people in my office, we tell them, like, those that have that inner control, they need to see things, and that's the way they feel safe and get involved. Tell them, just close your eyes. and go, why can't I keep my eyes open? I go, shut those eyes. Close <laughs> it. Let go of your control. And then we can start doing the therapy process. For those that, like, question every word, why are you doing this? Why do you say that? What did I mean? Mm-hmm. But in short, what I'll tell you is just, if you can start visualizing, closing your eyes and just visualizing that things will not go your way, and sometimes people like imagining malachim watching them, protecting them, and just I letting go. I did try go. that. I, 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 I imagined like a hand coming down from Shemayim, like watching yeah. over the car. Yes. But um, you don't it do ha- it just during the car. You do it about twice a day. Uh-huh. You do it for about three minutes. It means the subconscious has to get the message, has to feel the safety. But not only about the car. It's about baking the cake. It's about your children. It's about feeling the lightness when mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your. You're help. very welcome. And it just happens to be I'm having one of the debates going through that I'm discussing with my wife. The last two days are as follows: I want to do a course on anxiety, not how to heal, but a workshop at least how to recognize, that, uh, identify the symptoms, some of the tools that we use, and especially on the subconscious level to recognize the process that's happening. And we're debating: should I do it? like at around, like December, January time, or should we even hop around just before the summer, like now in June? And I'm going back and forth with that. But like there I would have visualizations and like a guided relaxation, how to create, for each workshop, we'll have its five or ten minute relaxation and how to put in the peacefulness. But exactly like what you're saying, where you have anxiety in one area, but a large part of it is about letting mistakes happen, about doing something and knowing you will actually make a mistake. Take a cup of water and spill it a little. Get comfortable and feel the inner letting go of making the mistakes. Great. Um, um, Let's go ahead to the next question that we've got. Let us go to Mrs. R. Hello, is that me? Yes, that is you. Okay, uh, thank you for taking my call. I have a piggyback question just while I was waiting. The last question. Yeah. Um, I'm a driver, and I'm a terrible backseat driver with some people. Yes. This, is, this was not why I called up. I just was listening to it, and I was thinking, 
I have it with people that I see the way they're driving, and I know they're not good drivers. Uh, uh, let's would stop there. Let's the not do thing? that. I would still say the same thing. Which okay. Which how many people are in the car with that other person, and they're just letting go? Um, well, sometimes it's more than one person in the car, and we're both having the same issue. And sometimes it's me with children in the car and another adult driving, and I'm the only one with the issue. That's right. So recognize that just on this point, for this information, it is about <laughs> that inner letting go. It means okay, that I do person- close my eyes. I use that method many times. Yeah. I close my eyes you know, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to close my eyes because yes, it's not going to change anything anyway. But recognize that this issue will affect you in other areas. Yes, it does. That's right. That's all, that's all <laughs> so I want I, to create the awareness. And that last caller wasn't really aware of it yet. So what I helped her mm-hmm. a little bit to create the awareness of those, those of us listening, that there's a certain trust that we need to have. And for so, those people that have anxiety, when I discuss it with them, do we realize how much trust we put on a highway of just two yellow lines that's separating cars going 65 or 75 miles per hour? And mm-hmm. there are millions of cars throughout the world, or I should say just the United States, that there's a trust in that. And that's a bit of the anxiety where we want to give the subconscious that safety for it to happen. Now, to recognize if someone actually it wasn't a car accident, now that safety was lost. The subconscious doesn't feel safe, and then there's a way mm-hmm. to build it in, to build it up. Mm-hmm. But when there is that issue, I always call it a subconscious control, not consciously that we want to control, but we don't feel safe unless mm-hmm. our mind is controlling just to share with you an interesting concept, I had one someone that I worked on where they had to, when they're flying the plane, they had to get as close to the cockpit as possible. They had to visualize the entire flight that when it's turning right, how they are turning that rudder or whatever it's called, the steering or whatever a plane flies with, right and left, left, and when it's going up, it's going up. Like that person had to visualize the entire time and then they're relaxed. Like they had to literally control as if they're controlling the plane. Wow, that's exhausting. Oh, you bet you. And that's why they said they could only do like little flights, like they from New York to Florida, three hours. Like yeah. Right. Yeah. But just to recognize that that's a little that's over there. I see. And the fact that I can trust someone that I see that they know what they're doing. Oh, it just means you're healthier. just means you're a lot healthier. And I don't mean healthy as if, if you have an issue, you're not. We all have issues. Let's recognize. Right. We all have yes, something. Yes. Just in this area, like of letting go and of trusting Mm-hmm. Or when you want to allow your children or when you want to trust your spouse to something, like you might double check things two times. Not everything, but like if it's important, you'll double check, which mm-hmm. might be something that will affect them saying, why can't you trust me? And the answer is because I can't trust myself. I don't feel the inner trust within myself. Mm-hmm. I would recommend I, again, I don't mean to like... I have your book uh, and gonna, I'm in the middle of going through it. So you're saying chap- the whole book... Exactly. The entire book was really written for two, several things in mind. But the two most important things in mind was I found that... A, the codependency and the that's perfectionism. Right. And I, the, second, the second real <coughs> component that I had over there is I needed a book for myself as well. <laughs> means there is normal life issues that everyone goes through, including mm-hmm. me, and I just need to hear the words, it's normal, just keep mm-hmm. on going. The difficulties, right. you're going to hit the bumps every step of that book in every single chapter. It's about just keep on going, it's normal. About leadership, even the last chapter about leadership versus dominating, like how Mm -hmm. a dictatorship and a leader, a large part of being a leader is letting go. I've only shared my information. Now I hope you take it. You know, and when they don't, you can let go about that. But when the person has the mistake and they come back to you, you're not going to go, you see, shame on you. You didn't listen to me. It's no. I'm glad you recognize it. I'm glad now you're going to listen more. And then I will share with you my experience and maybe we can tailor make it to you. 
And that's why you have parents that are 60 and 70 that the children come back and always ask them information. And then you've mm -hmm. got kids that they're 60, 70, and they will never want to speak to their parents even, you know, or get their advice 40 years later. It's mm -hmm. about the dominating or control, and it's all about letting go. It's all about that reminder. So that book, for myself, in a large part, what a Well, I appreciate that you wrote it for yourself. Yes. We're getting a lot out of it. I'm Thank going you. through it. First, I read through it quickly, and now I'm going through it slowly. So. Thank you. Okay, now I, my real question, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. I, mo I moved to a new apartment a year ago. Yep. Same city, but completely different location. And um, very different neighborhood. Yes. Very different type of neighborhood, I should say. Much noisier, much more congested. Um, feeling very unsettled. It's almost a year. Yep. And I'm just wondering, I do feel in a certain amount better, but I've got very unsettled by it, very disoriented, very sad, left a lot of friends behind in the other neighborhood. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how long I should give myself, and are there any tips? to help myself get, you know, through it, basically. So I would like to trust my instincts, and I think you're a very intelligent woman. Let me pose that question to you right now. I just moved to an area about a year ago in the same city, but it's just in a different area. What do you think, and I'm in this friend, it's very different, and I really didn't make up, like, I didn't get into this, into the area. Sorry, the chair just, uh, it's like one of those swerving chairs, and it just like lowered me about eight inches, you know, just dropped, oh. so just okay, getting back to my height. Fine. Okay, let's, let's go right back to it. So yeah. what do I do here? And my suggestion is, will it get better? Should I move? And what are some tips that you might recommend that I can get used to just this new area? Mm. I, I got my thoughts, but I believe you have yours as well. Let's go ahead and hear them. Let's see if you've probably hit every point that I would think of. I think that because I'm in it, I'm having a very hard time processing that, that, that question. I don't know what I would tell someone if they asked me this question. Okay, I can accept that. I, I mean, my first response is, like, go back and visit, uh -huh. but it's not practical. Okay. Meaning to go see, I do see, you know, the people that I miss and that I love from the other area. I do see them, I talk to them, but I feel as though the change... And I feel very dislocated, and the new people are very... I'm not really looking to make new friends here, which might be a problem. Right. Um, but I don't even know if it's, if it's just time, which I know with me does take time. I've moved before in my life, and it took me a long time to... But I, I'm thinking now that I'm aware of it, how can I help it maybe faster? Or do, do I allow myself to grieve you know, Alec, I'm, yeah. my, a lot of thoughts regarding it. So right. so I'll just share with you some of my <coughs> thoughts because everything that you've said is really what I would say. And number one to recognize that when we move areas, it's a complete change and it can take more than even a year for us to acclimate ourselves depending on the age that we are and the amount that we want to connect. That means if you have a bacher or a teenage girl changing schools, I usually tell them give it three to four months before you see if you like the school or not. Because mm -hmm. you're the new girl, first people are going to come over and say hi, then it's going to quiet down, then you're going to have to start stepping up to the plate. One of the ways that we deal with it, one of the ways that we deal with getting connected is usually connecting to someone there. What will make it meaningful? And it looks like you had that in the old place, in the yeah, other place. Yeah, but it also took time. It wasn't, didn't happen overnight. 
right? But still recognize if you would know what it is that will help you. It means if you go, let's say, to a shear at night or where women get together or there's a certain chesed department or something that you can help or there's a time that women get together, whatever it should be, what makes us feel into a place is actually making our presence there, belonging. So for an example, when someone moves apartments, they go, I don't feel this apartment or this house is mine. What I tell them is put something that's you in it means you like certain types of pictures, put that in there. You like a certain type of a homey feeling, put that in there. You like a pristine look, then create that. Make it your flavor. If you want this area to be your area, make it your area. What do you need? Do you need to know where your groceries are? Do you need to know where your schmoozing areas are? Do you need to know where you can do your jogging? Doesn't matter what. You need to know what's your need in an area. And then the more you create mm-hmm. your presence in that area, you'll have it. So if your area is, if your need is connecting to friends, and you said, well, I'm not really interested in connecting to friends right now, then you're not making it your area. Right. Recognize- I'm sort of not doing what I need because I'm still mourning the other place. That's right. So how about you do both or you actually allow yourself to mourn and you can pull up all your friends for two (laughs) weeks. You can kvetch about how much I miss it and what a bad move I've made. And you can allow the emotions to express, which means even though you know you had to make the move or even though it was the right step, you can still mourn. But allow yourself Uh to mourn and then start going, but I still got the rest of my life ahead of me. How can I make this area my area? What many times people find is when they can allow themselves to mourn and say, I was forced to life, whatever reason Hashem has pushed me into this move. Once we can feel it, express it, we are then able to move on. That's the secret of mourning. I... did the kvetching, I did the mourning, I've moved on a bit. Then you haven't, you haven't. And I'm also no, you haven't. no, no, you haven't. Proof is in the pudding. If it tastes like chocolate... You mean if I'm still mourning, then I haven't That's something you haven't mourned. Maybe you've mourned <coughs> the big stuff. Maybe you're just mourned the little stuff. You know something? Mm-hmm. I just miss being on a first floor apartment, now I'm on the second. I just miss having that little garden in front of my house, and now I got, you know, people so playing So what basketball. are the healthy ways of mourning? First, you Something. need to identify what you're missing. Make a list of paper. But, okay. oh, sorry, take a paper and start making a list. What mm-hmm. am I really mourning? What do I feel okay. that I lost out? And you want okay. to be able to do it without your logic analyzing it. So it could okay. be something as simple as, you know, I just missed that store where I had the daily coffee and that worker right. just said hello. And your logic will say, but that person quit a year before. Like you haven't had that person for a year. But the emotions might still feel that. You want to just be able to write everything that you miss. Okay, and then... And then you could look at it and say, you know something, I'm really going to miss it. Yes, it was a time of my life, it was a big chunk of my life, and you just sit with it. You Mm -hmm. don't need to move on. People are so busy with, give me the solution. The solution of mourning is sitting seven days in Shiva. The solution of a mourning is you have 30 days after, you have the Shleishim, where you're still in that. I mm-hmm. sat shiva for my father about five and a half years ago, and like the halacha is you can't, like on Tisha that you can't, take a shower, you can't go to Simchus. And I got a secret to tell you, I did not want to go to Simchus. To me, there was such a loss. Mm-hmm. How can I dance at a Simchus when I just lost my father this year? And one of the, my greatest pains were, after the 11 months of davening for the Yamad, it was like, you're telling me now I'm supposed to go back to a normal life, but I'm missing it. Mm-hmm. And I speak to many people that have that. Part of a loss of mourning is just sitting with the feeling, I don't want to meet yet the new people. I first mm-hmm. want to feel it and mourn. But give yourself, how much time do you want to mourn? Allow yourself I should to give mourn. myself an amount of time. Yes, ask yourself, how much time do you need to mourn? Many times I feel like I want to give it up already. 
All right, but I don't then, think well, I never made that list. So then there's really right. There's something the that you haven't mourned over. Then it's excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much. You're very, very welcome. We are going to go to Mrs. C. Mrs. C, you're on with Mordechai. Or, oh, sorry, you want to go Can to... I, is there a I guess so. Nissen, who's next? I'll, I'm sorry, I'm uh, Nissen. Um, Aaron. By the way, we're on over here, and I happen to miss Nissen a lot. Harav Nissen, which is on with me at every Monday evening. I just really miss him. Good. We're on, yes, with Mrs. C. Yes, okay, it's hi. you. Um, it's Miss. Um, I'm a Miss. I'm not married. Miss. I'm a girl. Okay, Miss um, C. <laughs> okay, so first of all, thank you for your outline. And second of all, I want to thank you for changing the timing, because in Israel, if I am now, so if I would be, your hotline is from 7, from 8 to 9.30, and it's not left by me, so it doesn't really work. So I want to thank you for that. You're very um, welcome. I appreciate that. Thank okay. you. Okay, fine. Um, so my question is, I, we just went down um, a few months ago. I'm sorry, me, can you say that again? I just want you to know, you're coming out, it's not that clear, your your phone. So just just say it again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so um, made Aliyah, me and my family, we made Aliyah to Israel. Yes. And um, I, I, before I moved, my parents told me that I said, okay, I'm going to go to camp. And he was like, they said, yeah, sure, I'm going to be able to go to camp. He's going to be able to go to Tamaka because I miss my the people that I knew before. And now um, I'm here, and I... I brought up the practice now that, like, I want to go to camp already, like, when we're making tickets, I, I was sure that I was going to go. And my father is telling me now, he's trying to come up with excuses now that, like, no, you can't go because, you know, I don't have a job now, and I don't get to pay for it, the ticket and camp, and so said, no problem, I'll, I'll work now because I, I'm still not in the school, so I'll work now, I'll make the money, I'll, you know... My father was like, no, there's nothing to talk about. Um, you can't work until you're settled. I don't want you to work. I don't want you to have money. I don't want you to go to America. There's nothing in America. And it's just bothering me that I can't, like, like they're taking away their word. Like, they told me, yeah, sure. You can go to go. I was so excited. But now, I don't know if I'm... If, can I ask you I, how, I'm how old you are? Parents. Can I ask you your age? Um, can I ask you 15. how old? How old? 15. 15. 15. Okay. So let me share with you a little about the real world, and then maybe we could look at your parents at a little bit of a different light. And All right? So normally I always take the kid's side or I try to help them out, but in this case I just want to shed a little light. And, and let's, let's create an idea, cause, and I don't want you to share the real information what's happening. Imagine your parents want to do an aliyah. They feel it's the best step for the family. They want to move to Eretz and they know mm-hmm. that it's going to take time for the kids to balance. It will take time. And one of the ways... For I'm the, the ki- only one that came. I'm not with anyone else. Uh-huh. I'm the only one that's left at home. So I didn't think that anyone else was going to ask my father for a ticket or go to camp or anything. Because I'm the only one. He has one expen- I mean, he has other expenses, but I'm the only child that he is really... Gonna so what happened to the other siblings? So you're the youngest? So you're the youngest. So what I'd like you to recognize is a little bit about responsibility, and then we'll go a second to your emotion that you feel that you are sort of maybe even lied to or manipulated. But let's just understand that mm-hmm. your parents have made a move, and they've done what they feel is a responsible move. Now, many times kids have this when parents move to other areas. 
parents get divorced or a parent is nifted and the parent gets remarried and they move areas. These are things, these are issues that are common, that happen. Now, you want to make it as easy as possible for the teenagers to also get acclimated and to get used to the area. And therefore, when they told you the information that they did, they really believed that they would. Let's go with the assumption that they really believed that you would. So they really believe that they will be able to afford and send you the ticket so you can come for the summer. However, you might have just moved. Life got a little bit more difficult, which is something that happens in life. I want you to know we make many choices. We make lots of decisions. We make assumptions, and it doesn't work out. Now, your father might not want you working because he might feel that either the jobs that you have that aren't appropriate for you or aren't that good for you. No, no, it's not my father. It's my mother. It's your mother. My mother says that no. Okay. I don't want you to, my father doesn't mind. He said, oh, you can go, you can, you can work and I'll make you money. I don't mind. But then my mother says, no, I don't want you to work. Right. No, but it might be, okay, okay, let's understand. That. Let's stop a second. Many times one parent is chilled out because, you know, the other parent will say no. And it's, right. it, okay, so your mother might be the one that makes final decisions because your father says, okay, and he knows that your mother will say no. Many times when the mother says, okay, <laughs> then the father says, no, 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 no. So... It's, we're not going into if that's right or wrong, but I want you to recognize you're 15 and you have a need and you have a want. But you're also part of a larger family. That means there are parents. I wonder what would happen if you would tell your parents, you know something, Mommy and Tati? I know it's hard for you this year. Can we please agree on that next year things will be more balanced and this year I'm not going to drive you crazy? This year I'll be mature and I'm either going to stay in a camp in Israel or I'll try to get a job as a counselor. I'll call my friends. I might be able, maybe you'll give me permission to Skype them or their parents will get permission that we can speak. But this year I'm going to be mature and understand that it's a new beginning for me, a new beginning for you, and things didn't go as planned. What would happen if you can do that? What do you think it would show your parents and how would that work with you? Now, in a I moment, try, we'll deal I with you. I'm already asking, asking that maybe you can, like, I'll be able to go, like, um, I don't know, like, when we'll have vacation here in Mexico because I'm not going to be in the school this year. So my parents are taking me very hard because I'm not in the school and I, I can say I make, maybe I make them a little crazy all day and, that's and right. they're having it hard with me with me that's you know, right what would happen if you can let's hold on hold on what happens if you can start being mature and saying you know something let me stop and I'm only doing this because you're a teenager if you're 7 or 8 years old I would have done it a bit gentler but you're already 15 start thinking now a little bit like an adult my parents made a move it's not easy to pick yourself up and change we just heard the caller before us how this girl is saying, how this woman is saying that she has lived in an area and she's changing areas. She's there over a year and she's still not balanced. Maybe we stop right. thinking a little about our parents. Wow, my parents made a move and my father still doesn't have a job. Do you know how stressful it is for someone to be a man of the house and to get up no, in the morning? My, no, my father, my father said that he, it was near that after he's going to get, like, after he's going to retire, he's going to move to his job because if he's retiring anyway, come with his job. So, it's a plan thing that they're not working. I, that's why I want to know if it's even right for me to ask to go because I know that, he, that my father wouldn't have a job. And so I know let me that share with you both sides. To go. Okay, so Miss C, this question really needs, it's called like a family therapist or not even a family therapist, just someone. If it's one of your oldest siblings, I'd rather it's not a brother or sister. But if there's just someone that your parents and you can speak to and just iron out the details, because it seems like there's just a lot of misconceptions or miscommunication that's going on, what they think, what you think.
And I also want you to know that it is very important for parents to honor the words that they tell you. If they tell you, you'll be able to go, let them clarify. We thought we could. We're sorry we can't, but let them own up. Yes, we told it to you. This way you don't start thinking you're crazy. This way you don't drive them crazy. At the same time, mm -hmm. part of maturity is dealing with reality as it's now. There's a separate issue that I don't want you to answer this, but are your parents sometimes the parents that promise the world and don't act on anything? I know some people, the parents always have great intentions. All day and night, they're busy with great intentions, but they don't actualize any of that. The parents, the children have no trust in them. Even though the, the children are married, there's just no trust in anything that they say. And then the parent goes, why am I not trusted? And then when they do one thing out of 20 things, they go, you see, I do things. And they continue the unhealthiness of their denial. Like, no, one out of 20 things that you do is not called doing. It's called doing one out of 20. It's called not doing 19. So there's a lot that could be happening in your situation. What I'd like to then just take your situation for awareness purposes are two levels. Number one, it needs to be discussed openly with your parents. What is the situation? Are they just saying it to push you off? Did they mean that? If they just meant to push you off, then tell them, I'm angry, I feel hurt, I feel manipulated, I feel fooled. How can I trust it? Like, we got to work out another system, and you'll work out a system with them to build trust. At the same time, if they really had a mind to send you, and your father, even though he retired, but you didn't know that he thought he has a certain job or a part-time retirement job waiting for him, and that didn't work out, we don't know everything that is going on. And it might not right. have been communicated. Mm -hmm. So discuss it with them. And things don't always work out where you can actually be now the mature teenager and say, you know something? We thought we're moving. We thought we're going to have schools and everything's going to work out. It's really not working out. What can I do? Which means, what can I do to help the situation? I need to have structure to my day. I can't sit around and do nothing all day. I can't drive you crazy because I don't want to do that. Is there something I can do to help you? And you can start being like the mature person saying, I understand that this year it won't work out. I understand that you thought it would work out to be able to send me to, to America. I, I asked my father and he said, no, I don't. I know that. I'm Hold on. No, now what I would like you to do is I'd like you to get a third person involved. There seems to be some miscommunication when you've spoken to them several times. And that's why you need a third person. If it's a Rav where you guys move to that you're close to, if it's a Rav in America that can speak to work it out, I'd rather not have your older brothers or sisters. But if you could have them, then that might work. But just get the concept. Understand the idea that your needs must be taken into account, but our parents' needs and to start thinking like a mature adult is also equally important. Thank you for calling in all the way from Eretz Yisrael. I so appreciate it. And good luck and Hatzlacha in your new move and in your new stage and new place in life. Um, Aaron, can we go to line three, Ms. N? Let's go to Ms. N. Hello? Uh, line three. Let's see if we've got Ms. N. So then we'll go to line. Um, hello, is someone there? Ms. N, you're on the line. All right, we'll go to Ms. G. Ms. G, you're hello. on with Mordechai. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I enjoy listening very much. Oh, thank you. We are talking about a teenage boy who's 16. He's yeah. a good boy. Um, but he has two major questions, and no matter what I say, I haven't answered, so maybe you can help me. Let's One try. is, why is it not good to have texting on the phone? That's okay. one. Okay. And the other thing is, um, he's forever looking, he's like in the middle. In other words, he doesn't have a lot, but he's not one of the boys that doesn't have anything. Yes. But yet he feels like, 
he doesn't have and the other one has. Yes. How do I address that? Okay. I'll try my best, and we're going to, again, keep it extremely family uh, appropriate. Mm -hmm. And let's start with the first one. What's wrong with texting? There are several issues with texting. But the real reason why Rabbanim don't want texting will get to last. The basic issue with texting are that it takes over kids' lives, teenagers' lives. It means they're not having appropriate time usage. It means they're having it in class. They're looking at it every break. I'm in shul, and it's disappointing to see, and I don't want to be makatruk hasashalom on Klai but when people finish my Nesra and you're waiting for the Baltfilo for Hazar's Hashats to start, and they're taking out the text just looking at the emails, what that means is your head is not present here. And the problem is teenagers are less responsible than adults. So if adults can't keep that phone off our hands just for 20 minutes when you're davening mincha, 20 minutes of mayrav, you got 30 seconds till the baltfila catches up to you. You got to take it out. Teenagers will have a lot less. That means during supper time, they're going to be texting. In bed, they're going to go to sleep. They're going to be texting till 2 in the morning with all their friends. First step is they don't have appropriate balance to that. And that is, and it will take them away from learning um, from their growths. Step one. The real concern that the Rabbanim have in step two is texting. Many times you can have someone that will text you, will initiate something to text you, and it's inappropriate. And if they have to speak to you or get to you, they can't get to you in person. But a text is easy. I got the person's number, and then they start texting, and then you get ensnared, ensnared in the net. And so it can I interrupt you on that one? Go right so ahead. My son says to me, but I'm with a chevra of good boys. We no know you are. And the Rabbanim are Gedolim, and they unfortunately hear stories all day, and they make decisions based on all of Klal Yisrael. So that means, if imagine there are ten boys in your class, and eight of your boys, or ten, all ten are good boys, but two of them, let's just say that's the, the statistics, two out of these ten boys will get caught within five years of having texting because it's out there, it's rampant, everyone has one friend, and just by mistake as these numbers go, and I don't want to share on-air tricks that people do, because I do know, because I work with people that have sometimes these difficulties, and the tricks that they do, Ask your son if he knows or if he's in the responsibility of a Gadol B'Yisrael where all of Klai Yisrael is on their shoulders or at least their Kehillahs are on their shoulders. If you know out of every class, two out of ten boys, Chas Hashan, will go over to Derech who will have major Nisiyanis, major hardships, would he say, well, eight boys will be okay so we can lose two? Or will mm-hmm. he say, no, we got to know that even healthy teenage boys and healthy teenage bur- girls can get caught up in this concept? And just to not get into the Gemara, but there's a very famous Gemara with Ravasi, and we need to realize that Rav Huna Ravashi are the ones that wrote the Gemara, that we have it in the form that it's today. So we're talking about from the greatest of Gedalim. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wrote Mishnayis. Mm-hmm. Rav Huna Ravasi collected everything and put it together. And I'm pretty sure the Gemara story was with him, that he once had someone stay in his house. He was doing chesed, had him stay in the attic. And in the middle of the night, he started yelling, fire, fire, fire. And people come running, the Talmudim come running, and they see the way he was setting up a, a ladder to go up to the attic. They said, Rebbe, what's going on? He says, there's a fire in me where I can't trust myself. They said, Rebbe, you just embarrassed yourself. He says, this is embarrassing myself. He says, imagine down here in this world where you, Talmudim, are going to see me and, I'm emba- and I should be embarrassed of you. Imagine when I'm going to go up to Shemayim and there everyone, the Rebbe is going to see me and I shouldn't be embarrassed of that. Let's understand that we don't trust anyone with this. I know my cell phone. I don't have a cell phone, but we have it now as a family cell. My wife can read every single text that I have. And if something's inappropriate, I'll tell the person, I want you to know my wife will see this. 
or like some of these people with text, it's just clear. And many times if the kids will have text, the one thing you want to set up is I want you to know I will be reading everything. I want to be able to have the transcripts to everything. Not because I don't trust you. I might look at it once a year. But just know that someone is watching. There's, it's healthy. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense what you can tell your child? Um, I, it sounds t- great. I wish I could put it on the phone. <laughs> well, there's a recording of this. You can listen to the recording either over here. Um, on the J route, or I have my phone line, which is a free phone line. It's 718-298-2011, 718-298-2011, and it's section three, where we have the recordings of all of these programs. Or you could download it from jrootradio.com. They have all the programs where you can listen to these pr- these recordings, and you can actually hear the way I'm putting it. And now, the second question that you had, what was that second question again? The, the second question was... I, oh right! I about him being about being in be the middle. Happy if you keep looking what you don't have, yes. why don't you look what you do have? Exactly. And what I will share with you um, several ways to explain it to him is, but if you can explain to him the concept that this is a human midah that everyone has that we're always looking for more. And the Gemara uses a Yerushalmi quote that Yerushal, like sort of in Yerushalayim, they used to have a saying, If someone has like 100 coins, wants 200 coins. Understand that even if you are worth $100 million, you're going to be finding people in your business field that you're working that are worth 200 and 400 and you'll be going i only rent the private planes that i have but this guy owns his own private plane this concept is something we want to be able to share to our children and to ourselves i will be honest with you i need to work on that myself Baruch Hashem, I am so successful in so many ways. The Rabbi Shalom has given me so much more than I deserve. But do you know how many times a day I can go out, wow, so many have got so much more than me as well. And I've got people coming into my office which might have a better this or better that. Well, they have a problem in other areas, but in so many other places they're so much more successful than I am. And in my office I get to hear the people's real secrets so I know how successful they are. And they they have to feel the trust. And I need to work on myself as well. So understand, this is a human nature. Not to stay with that. It's about that battle to be able to stop that Yetzirah or those thoughts that are telling us, yep, you got to push yourself. No, we got to have balance. Mm-hmm. We got to stay balanced with it. Does that make sense? It, it makes terrific sense. And I hope I'm going to be able yeah. to play and if that. You to can, him. And, if you can, mm-hmm, yeah. and if you can even help him out with share, because I'm a huge believer in disclosing and sharing, if you can share with him how you have that same thing. Oh, my friends, they just went now to Lag Baimer for Israel. Or you had friends that are going to the bungalow county and they had a nicer bungalow. It's $2,000 more. You could have afforded it, but then you can't do other stuff. And you just share, explain to him how normal it is and share with him that if he can learn and master and get this information in his teenage, it will help him in so much more areas of his life. So we all have something that holds us that we're not wealthy. Even if you're worth $2 billion, you're going to be dealing with business people that are worth 3 and $4 billion. Right. Right. And that's just a reality. Excellent. Thank you. So You're very, very much welcome. I appreciate that. Thank We're going to go to Mrs. N on line one. We're back with Mrs. N. Hello. You hear me now? Yes, we hear you loud and clear. Okay. Wonderful. Okay, thank you very much first for the great awareness and sure. the terrific book. I really, really gain a lot from it. I appreciate that. And then that. I, I do want to encourage the anxiety course to really happen. Oh. I think there are going to be very many people to, who are going to gain a lot from it. Thank you. So if you need encouragement, um, there definitely is going to be 
for those of you um, that know me, and for so those of you that listen, encouragement happens to be something that works on me tremendous. So, yeah, <laughs> encouragement and hearing that definitely is something that... Uh, okay, so we're looking forward for, to it. Okay, so my question basically is, how do you delegate with a logic, strong-minded person who doesn't see the importance... From, like from some of your needs. I need to hear action. an age. Hold on. I need an age for that. No, if it's a kid. An adult. A, adult. No, no, no. A real adult. Unfortunately, I, I, I'm going to change those words a little. That's called a personality disorder. Personality disorders means that they are akshanim sometimes. It's called narcissist. Yes, action. In action. But it's not, uh, recognize, it's not that they're missing logic. It's a major disorder. And it's about three years with an advanced therapist that has experience with that because you need to beat them up logically. You need to be but so in their face person, and say, what? What if this person doesn't want to go of to anyone? Of course they don't want to go. We're going to no, get there in a minute. No, but really not. Like, like I uh, know he has that. it down on paper that this is the right I way to know do. that. I know that. I know that. No one with a personality disorder ever wants to go for therapy. And those that want to go, you know they don't really have a personality disorder. They just might have some symptoms of it. Real personality disorders do not want to go for therapy. That's why, in order to get a personality disorder into therapy, the first step is the codependent one, which would be you, would first be in therapy usually six months to a year till you're strong enough to change the patterns. And I'll say these so words... So I already do that. I already do that. Hold on. Let me finish. Once you change patterns, the dance will change, which means that person will be begging to go for therapy if you're in it or if you're getting the right help. Mm-hmm. That means you're still it not doing it enough. that always happens? This person I don't <laughs> want to use the word always. What happens when you get healthier and that person has their issues and you don't help them, you don't keep them in their place and they can't do it on their own because all these narcissists really need help. They if it's need narcissism, to it doesn't sound this bad. It sounds like a very big akshanis in certain areas. Okay, very so good midis in the other areas. But when it comes to certain, like, principles, there can be real shtism. Uh, okay, it then gets, maybe... It gets low enough. Okay, then maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a very, very weak self-esteem, and the only way to survive that they've survived is by becoming a major action. But the point is that let's say they blow up at the children, and if you would really be going for the therapy, you would not be helping out. You will not be saving it. The kids will not want to come to you for the storm, the married kids, or they won't want to learn. And instead of you being there coaching and trying to help them, they have to face it. They usually start changing then. The kids are not coming to us for the storm, and I'm not begging them to. You do it. No, but then the other person is going to be, the, the codependent one is going to be the one to blame. That's you. Yeah. That's right. And the codependent one, if they continue in therapy, then they're safe and comfortable. They won't even bring it up. Doesn't will go, who's coming for Pesach? You can ask. Ask them. Oh, I don't discuss Pesach. You'll, there's a safety. I, I don't want to tell you what to say because whatever I tell you won't work on you until you heal your places where when they lay the guilt and it works on you, unless that changes. Codependent mm -hmm. and dealing with someone that doesn't want to go for help is a couple of years of work, unfortunately. Several months for the codependent person to a year and then more than that for the person that's, that's, that's got the issue. But recognizing you going for therapy professional therapy, someone that has experience dealing with that changes the entire dance. They can only remain in their issue if you continue putting gasoline. We're not blaming you. We're just saying... No, I realized. That I, I actually realized that, but... Uh, <laughs> okay, need, I this guess, is I guess from the advanced questions that I don't even take those clients anymore. 
I don't and take West these End. cases. Um, there's just so many questions that come up. I need to be available for questions during the week, and I just am not able to do that. I don't take clients that have codependence issues or like a bit of the personality of these akshanas where you need to break the person. It's, mm-hmm. it's just something that I don't deal with because of the need of the codependent person first needs several months of work. And my, another question is, if a codependent person lives, lives with a person with a personality disorder, um, is this a cause to like provoke anxiety and of course. OCD? Of course, mm-hmm. but, but I don't want to hold on, hold on, no, 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 don't ask. I'd like you to listen first. Let me finish my sentence, not get what you want out of it. Yes, it can... Um, it can inflame your anxiety or your OCD. It doesn't cause it. And because you came with those symptoms originally, that's the reason why you're able to stay in the marriage or in the relationship or whatever it should be. It's even employees to bosses. I've heard where bosses will have those employees call up many uh, work many hours in the evening when they said they won't have to, threaten them in certain ways. It's the same issue. If you do not come with that problem, the bosses will not be able to get you to do that. So what we're talking about is being married or being in such a relationship will inflame the situation. It usually will not cause it. But my question is, if, if, if that person feels that this, like, I, and I don't really know what the chicken and the egg is. Like I'm maybe telling you the what the chicken is. I'm triggering tell- more of the. Of I am going to tell you what the chicken and what the egg is. The chicken and the egg is that both of you have come with your issues. Both of you have not worked on it. And as you work on your issues, you will see the chicken and the egg don't matter. The situation changes. My recommendation is go ahead, take make the changes, go for your part of the job, and then with Siata Deshmaya, you see how everything else changes. I'd like to thank you all for calling in, for asking those questions. I We've got the lines are all full, and I appreciate you calling in, but the time has come where we need to leave it, Merz for next week. Next week, we will continue on Monday evening from 8 to 9.30, Be'ez HaShem Yisbarach, on over here, the JRoot Radio. Thank you all, and looking forward, Merz for another wonderful week coming up.